Ephesians 5 verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, England has made it to the knockout stages of Euro 2020, which to show how crazy this year has been, is being played in 2021. On Tuesday evening at five o'clock, we will be playing Germany at Wembley. Now, I don't know how that game is going to go, but what I do know is that it will be a game of two halves, much like the book of Ephesians. Do you see what I've done there? The book of Ephesians is a fantastic book with loads of stuff going on in it. But one of the things that can help us to stop getting lost is to recognise that it is split roughly into two halves. Crudely, it can be said that the first half centres on who God is and what he's done, and the second half is about um, how we respond to what Christ has done for us. He has made us children of light and how our lives respond to what he has done for us. The thing is, the bar is really high. We're called to live lives that are completely countercultural. We are supposed to be humble, gentle, patient, loving. We're supposed to seek unity with those around us, even the people who we find really difficult. Well, that's better. You can probably hear me now. Um, We're also supposed to forgive people. We're not to hold grudges. We're not to grumble, but we're to be thankful. Now, I'm aware that I do not measure up well to this long list of ways I'm supposed to live. I know how I'm supposed to live, but so often I fail in so many of those different areas. And then I feel bad, so I think I'll try harder. I'll make more of an effort to be obedient. In a sense, I start separating the two halves of Ephesians. I start trying to earn God's favour by living in a certain way, rather than what is modelled in the book of Ephesians, which is a changed life based upon what God has done for us. As we arrive at today's passage, Paul does something wonderful. He not only models what a Christian marriage should look like, he then reminds us that this marriage is actually a picture of God's love for his people. 
he draws, he draws on what I think is one of the most profound and beautiful pictures of Christ's love for his church that you will find in the Bible. Now, this is an unpopular part of the Bible, but it is my prayer this morning that we would not see it as something we need to defend, but that we would actually see it as a beautiful truth which we long to proclaim. Whether you are single or married or anything else, I hope that this morning you will leave this hall being reminded just how much Christ loves his church. I've got just two points for you this morning. Firstly, that marriage, the maker's instructions. And secondly, you probably think this song is about you, don't you? (laughs) Now, first point, marriage, the maker's instructions. This is the longest section in the Bible that deals with the topic of marriage. And it's becoming increasingly controversial, mainly because of verses like this. Verse 22 and 23 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Then in verse 24, Now if the church submits to God uh, to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then again in verse 33, And the wife must respect her husband. Now, this is absolutely not the central message of this passage. However, I suspect that if you are like me, you're only going to be half listening until I talk about these verses. So let's begin with these from the beginning. The first thing I want to say is this. I am genuinely sorry for the times that people have hidden sexist and misogynistic views behind these verses. There is absolutely no place for that. These verses in no way paint women as second class citizens. The Bible is very clear. God made men and women in his image equal in worth and dignity. Different but equal. Paul shows us that husbands and wives are equal and they have different roles to play within a marriage. He begins by saying that wives should submit to their husbands. Now... (laughs) In UFC, which is the ultimate fighting championship, there are three ways to win a fight. By knockout, by points or by submission. A lot of our misgivings about this passage actually come from thinking about submission like this. Like being placed in a chokehold until either we pass out or we give up. That is not what Paul is pointing to here. Submission is, the, is willingly coming under the authority of another. Willingly not forcibly. A wife's submission is a chosen response to the leadership of her husband. It does not reflect any difference in worth or value. Most of us would agree that a child should submit to a parent, but we definitely wouldn't think that a child is less valuable than their parent. Even more than this, we see this reflected in the Trinity. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the reason that we meet here on a Sunday morning, chooses to submit to God the Father. The Father is not more valuable than a son, but there is an order in their relationship, an order which they celebrate, an order which God chose to reflect in in a marriage relationship. It's also really important to see that Christ's submission to the Father is not seen as weak in the Bible, but as a beautiful picture of courage, strength and loyalty. This is what should frame our understanding of submission in this passage. Submission does not mean blind obedience. It does not mean having no voice. 
In fact, in a healthy marriage, most decisions will be made by talking things through. But it does mean encouraging the husband to take the initiative in those conversations and leading those discussions. And on the rare occasions where you can't agree on something, a wife will give more weight to her husband's opinion than to her own. Submission does not mean doing whatever you're told. Look at the end part of verse 22. Submit to your own husband as you do to the Lord. We are called to first and foremost submit to Christ. If a husband asks for something that contradicts anything that Jesus teaches, then a wife is absolutely right to respectfully say no. Shortly, we'll move on to consider what a husband's Christ-like leadership should look like. And I hope that we'll see that when this sort of leadership is modelled, Christ-like submission will be a natural response to it. But before moving on, I just want to consider a couple of objections that often come up around this idea of submission. Firstly, it's sometimes said Paul was just writing to a specific culture, to a specific context, and that's the behaviour that was expected. It's not relevant for today. Now, if you look closely at the passage, you'll see that Paul doesn't actually draw his argument from the culture he was writing to. He draws it from the first book of the Bible. Look at verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a quote from Genesis. In chapter one of Genesis, uh, God created mankind in his own image. In chapter one, verse 27, it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created mankind to reflect his image. But this image is too wonderful to be captured in mono. So he does it in stereo. Elise Fitzpatrick says this. In the creation of humanity, God is the artist. He is singing a song about himself, about his glory. His music is the display of his excellence. He plays the composition in stereo. It flows through the corresponding channels of male and female. God created men and women different but equal. And he did this to more accurately reflect the image of a triune God. Paul points us back to Genesis to before sin had entered the world to show us that the difference between men and women is a good thing that God created. The marriage that Paul is showing to us is not a concession to the culture. It is pointing us to how things are supposed to be. A second objection you may well hear is that verse 21 at the beginning of our passage undermines the rest of what's said. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it is really important to hear this context, but it's also really important to recognise that, that um, after talking about submission in general terms, Paul goes on to talk about it in three specific relationships where one party leads and the other party submits. This should be modelled in the healthy leadership of a church. Now, in one sense, the whole church submits to one another. This includes the leaders who, following in the footsteps of Christ, submits to the people, serves them and puts them first. However, it's also true that when you join a local church, you choose to willingly submit yourselves to the leadership. In one sense, the whole church is submitting to one another, but in another sense, there is a specific submission of the members to the leadership. 
Marriage follows this same pattern. Now, I'm acutely aware that this has been a whistle-stop tour of what is a very complicated issue. And an issue that for many of us is not just theoretical, but deeply personal. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you more about it. Why don't you come and ask me a question afterwards? But what would be even better is rather than asking me a question, why don't you approach one of the ladies in our church who has come not just to understand this this truth, but actually to rejoice in it? That's because truths like this are just better answered by being acted out in someone's life rather than in the pages of a theology book. It's important to acknowledge that like any other godly behaviour, submission is difficult and it won't come naturally. And sadly, a lot of the time, your husband won't make it easy. We're going to consider motivation later, but for now, it's enough to say that Jesus knows what it is like to submit to others, especially those who don't deserve our submission. Let's move on to see what Paul says to husbands. There's actually a lot more space in this passage taken up talking to husbands. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28 says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And verse 33, Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. In short, this passage is clear. A husband is called to love your wife more than you love yourself. Ultimately, be willing to die for her. Husbands are called to a deep, sacrificial love for their wives that mirrors Christ's love for his people. Arguably, I should have started here because actually, when someone models love like this and leadership like this, submission suddenly seems a bit less drastic. With so much controversy around that idea of submission, we can easily lose sight of the fact that actually the great problem we face in the church today is not a wife's lack of submission. It is more often husbands not leading like this. Paul calls us to love our wives like Christ loves the church. Part of the problem of this is that we can be too quick to centre in on Christ dying for his people. We end up making this the benchmark of what a husband's love should look like. But let's face it, not many of us are ever actually going to be put in a position where that's going to be tested. Giving up your life doesn't only mean being willing to die for someone. It means being willing to live for them. Are we willing to live for our wives? I mean, grand gestures are wonderful but only when they're surrounded by lots and lots of small gestures. Small gestures where we deny ourselves and put our wives first. Put aside dying for one minute. What about washing up? What about putting the kids to bed, cooking a meal or turning off the TV and actually talking to one another? Not in a way that keeps score or thinks you're doing some massive favour for your spouse. What about instigating the family bible time every time i leave that to my wife which i'm sorry to say is quite often i am failing in my role as a leader in the family i am failing in keeping what paul is asking me to do here verse 28 is arguably the greatest challenge in this passage it says he who loves his wife loves himself 
It means being so intimately linked to your wife that you serve her not to earn brownie points from her, but because you genuinely find joy in her happiness. That is how real husbands lead, by getting their hands dirty and putting their wives' needs before their own. Not to earn something, but because they delight in their spouse. Are you genuinely concerned about your spouse's walk with Jesus? Are you doing all you can to show her that her faith in Christ is the most important and most beautiful thing about her? Before moving on, um, I just want to point out that this passage doesn't have any clauses or conditions. Paul doesn't say, submit to your husband if he loves you like Christ loves the church. And likewise, he doesn't say, wives, submit to your husband. Sorry, the other way around. He doesn't say, love your wife as long as she submits to you. Part of being sinful means that we are very good at spotting the sin in other people. What we're not so good at is looking into our own hearts and spotting our own shortcomings. But doesn't that mean that this teaching is open to abuse? Well, absolutely it does. But find me a Christian teaching that is not. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Forgive again and again. The gospel is not about seeking to make things equal or keeping scores. It is about grace. It is about giving people what they don't deserve because we have been given what we don't deserve. This sets us up nicely for point two. I bet you think this song is about you, don't you? This passage is about marriage, but it's not primarily about us. In verse 32, Paul says this, this is a profound mystery. Friends who've met my wife have often said to me, how on earth did you get Emily to marry you? You are punching well above your weight limit. Now they are right. And in one sense, it is a bit of a mystery, but That is not the mystery which Paul is pointing to here. He clarifies in the second part of that verse, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. When I was a student, I loved the series 24. It was the first thing I ever binged watched. There are some great twists. And at the end of the first series, there is a great moment where you find out someone all the way through you thought was a goodie turns out to be a baddie. They do it so well that you actually feel like, you you, you feel upset about it, you feel betrayed. And the thing is, I didn't see it coming at all. But the thing is, when you go back and you watch the series again, you see that actually all the markers are there. I think that's a bit like what Paul has done in this passage. The passage is about a marriage between a man and a woman. But even more than that, It is a wonderful picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Look again at verse 25. The church here is not portrayed as some inanimate object. Look at the pronoun Paul uses. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Not it, her. The message is clear. Marriage is a picture of the way Christ loves the church, his chosen people. If you are a Christian, then it is a picture of the way that Christ loves you. Let's briefly finish, let's finish by briefly considering four things that this demonstrates. 
So firstly, it changes the way that we relate to him. Arguably, whether you have been a Christian for five minutes or like John Tyndall, a hundred (laughs) years, how you perceive God is one of the most important things about you. If I ask some of you now to shout out some words to describe God, I'm confident that I would hear back good biblical words like glorious, holy, loving and just. And whilst we know these mentally, so often our lives tell a different story. I often act as if God were actually a strict headmaster in the sky. I know that the day is coming when he is coming back and he will hold us to account for what we've done. So I try and do what he tells me because I don't want to get in trouble when he's coming back. I childishly think of some of the rules as a bit much, so I occasionally bend them or even break them. I know it's wrong, but surely the main thing is that I keep most of the rules most of the time. The thing, when I go that extra mile as well, when I go that extra mile and do extra things for him, I'm often doing it because I want something good from God. All of that changes when I picture God, not as a headmaster, but as a spouse. Any teacher will tell you in a school, a headmaster is stuck with the pupils who attend that school. That's not the case with Jesus. He chose me. He pursued me and he intimately loves me. He paid a great price for me to make me his own. And he didn't just set a load of arbitrary rules to keep order in some way. He longs me to live the best life I possibly can. So he taught me the best way to live. When you break a law of the land, it's impersonal. But when you sin against a spouse, you are damaging a relationship. When I remember that Christ loved me like a spouse, my loyalty is not about earning something or about avoiding punishment. It is about intimacy. And although I enjoy the good things he gives me more than that, I enjoy him. Like a good husband, Christ doesn't want our blind obedience. He wants our willful submission because we see that he loves us and wants the very best for us. Secondly, he chose us to change us. In some cultures, it's perfectly normal before a wedding for a dowry or a bride price to be paid. This is where the groom's family pay a certain amount for the, to the bride's family so that she'll be released in marriage. Now, to Western ears, that can sound a bit strange. It sounds a bit like people are being treated as objects. However, maybe we should remember that Christ paid a bride price for his church. No amount of money would ever be enough. He had to pay with his own life. He laid down his life to claim us as his own. Now we can often stop there, but verse 26 tells us why he laid down his life. It says, to make her holy. When we bought our current house, it was a complete mess. The previous owners had just let it run to ruin. It had, they, they'd owned seven dogs and the house and the garden were a complete mess. A friend of mine came round to help me sort out the garden and we were hacking and strimming and digging. It had basically become this huge dumping ground. We were having these massive bonfires to get rid of everything. And at one point, I was just about to chuck this rotten fence post into the fire. And for some reason, he said to me, no, not that one. 
I don't know why, but he took it away with him. A few weeks later, he came back and he brought with him these. He'd taken that rotten fence post home with him and he had chiselled off all the rotten bits. He'd sanded it and polished it and waxed it and he turned it into something beautiful and something functional. Every time I look at those candle blocks, I am reminded of why Christ died for me. He didn't save me from the fire to leave me as a rotting lump of wood. He did it because he knew that by his love, he could turn me into something beautiful. Christ's grace is not just a motivate. It is not just an excuse to drift through this life doing as we please. It is a motivation to fight for holiness, not to earn rescue, but because that is what we were rescued for. Will you pray that the Holy Spirit would transform you a little more every day to reflect the glory of the one who paid for you with his blood? Thirdly, marriage is not based on a feeling, it is based on a promise. Being married is a status. When you exchange rings and vows, you become married. At times, you will feel differently about that marriage. But regardless of how you feel, you are still married. Your relationship with God is exactly the same. It is based upon his promises. When he brought you spiritually from death to life, you became his treasured possession This new status cannot change, but the extent to which you enjoy that relationship can change. A A healthy marriage involves the couple spending time with one another, investing in their relationship, honouring one another. Are you doing those things with Jesus? Are you investing in your relationship? Not taking it for granted, but enjoying that relationship with him. Fourthly and finally... He is the faithful spouse. If you really want to enjoy the beauty of this picture of Christ loving his church, then you need to go to the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet and God calls him to marry a promiscuous woman. They have several children together, but the trouble is the woman continues to be promiscuous. Rather than divorce her, God calls Hosea to continue the relationship, to pursue the relationship. And to invest in the relationship. God does this to reflect his faithful love for an unfaithful people. Whether you are married or single or anything else this morning, I want you to hear God's promise to his people. This is what the sovereign Lord says in Hosea chapter 2. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Friends, will you enjoy that love and allow it to transform you into something beautiful? Will you be a part of a church which is being transformed into something radiant, something without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless? Will you walk in his ways Because he loves you like a husband loves his bride.